Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 13th of January 2023. In net zero Britain, fossil fuel heating in domestic dwellings will be a thing of the past. And our post this week takes a look, in microcosm at least, at the somewhat thorny subject of retrofitting. Or, as we've been informed this week, refurbishing. Is that a more appropriate word for it, Michael? It is, because it takes in looking at the whole housing stock and the whole fabric of a building. And therefore, you're not looking. The retrofit tends to be the thought that you're just replacing a boiler with an air source heat pump, for example. Whereas in real terms, you're meant to be looking at the total energy system of a house and its physical fabric. And therefore, taking in the whole windows, the whole insulation piece, whole micro-generation of electricity as well. So I think refurbishment is probably a better thing. It also sounds more positive because retrofit sounds like you've done something wrong and you're going to be sort of put right, as opposed to refurbish is an enhancement of the property. And in fact, if all new buildings were built to a higher standard, we wouldn't need to refurbish them. Now, in our post, we're taking a close look at Richmond-upon-Thames, which is a pretty affluent area and one where, with a fair bit of refurbishment going on, we might expect to see a good smattering of net zero preparation being included. And in some parts, like home EV charging, we found that to be true, but not necessarily in solar and heat pumps. That's right. It is surprising. Is there is no pressure upon a homeowner or dweller to actually install any of these technologies through the planning system. It's only if you're putting in two air source heat pumps do you have to have planning permission. And in the data we looked across for, for Richmond Borough, there are best part, depending which figure you take, pushing 100,000 dwellings. And there are a whole group, because I went through the data, being refurbished. And very few, I found one that had put in solar panels. And that was on a roof that was not going to be infringing upon cons- conservation or listed status. And that really does complicate matters. But otherwise, people were not taking the advantage of ripping their house to bed and using that opportunity to do anything progressive. Underfloor heating, yes, but it was generally electric and it wasn't using heat from the ground. And so they weren't going down that path. And I did a survey physically walking around those sites, talking to people about it. And they were spending hundreds of thousands of pounds on these refurbishments. And therefore, the retrofit, if you want to use that word, or refurbishment as regards net zero, would have been a very small proportion of the total budget. Now, you've reviewed quite a bit of data for this case study. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, the data just comes from public sources. One of the beauties of this country, little databases exist for energy performance ratings of property. It exists for the nature of the housing stock itself and its quality. In London, there was a very, very extensive piece of work done across all 3.7 million dwellings to work out the cost and the manpower requirements and skill requirements of doing it. And that data is available at granular level if you're prepared to dig. And all we try to do is pull a few of those things together just as an example of what can be done. Because I think it's vital that we end up with a manpower plan around this refurbishment program for dwellings. We don't seem to have done any of that, even when Grenfell tower you know very sad inferno killing 70 or so people that has created huge spikes of work which actually have retested the capacity of scaffolders and laggers and insulation material suppliers and the like because they are big big projects you know costing many millions of pounds and we need to do the same across this whole refurbishment piece moving to zero now this might be a bit of speculation michael but how much do you think 
Richmond upon Thames is a reflection of the rest of the country. It is bound to be pointed to as being a bit atypical because of the wealth of the area and the nature of the housing stock. But there are something in the region of 20,000 social housing units in Richmond Borough. There are something like 30 to 35,000 in private rental. So those are quite thorny areas to get an attack and do something with on this. And the rest, you'd have thought, be given the wealth, it would be atypical in a positive way of actually having a more progressive application of net zero technologies. And I couldn't find much evidence of that. And a reminder, you can find our Richmond case study in this week's post on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. As a preview to next week's post, we'd like to tell you a little about a conversation we had recently with a company called Forth. Now, Forth is a community interest company founded in 2021 by D. Halligan and Daniel Charney. With strong backgrounds in architecture and industrial design, Dee and Daniel have been working together for about 15 years. Previously, they ran a creative consultancy called From Now On, before launching Forth CIC uh, to, as they say on their website, wegoforth.org, explore and shape new models, formats and programs for engagement in a changing world. We were keen to talk to Dee to find out a little more about what that meant. She told us about some of the things they've been doing over the past few years and how that's coming together into what Forth is doing today. We did an event in 2019, which was looking at the future of designing and making in schools. We had four kind of pillars. This kind of describes our agenda, really. One is education everywhere. So it's the idea that you don't have to be learning inside institutions, that it's just as valid to be looking at formats which play into the independent learners. The second was disappearing disciplines. So it's the idea that designers are no longer designers and engineers are no longer engineers. So you're getting this blurring of boundaries, interdisciplinarity, not necessarily transdisciplinarity, which I hate as a term and I think is a bit of a nonsense. The third obvious one is um, the planet is burning. (laughs) So, you know, prompting a response. And then the fourth one was, we called this, I can't use scissors. It's an Amanda Spielman quote from a talk she did about the future of D&T in schools. And it was talking about kids starting schools who couldn't hold a pencil and couldn't hold scissors because that idea of making or cutting is not in people's everyday life. You can look at different demographics or you can look at different lifestyles or whatever, whatever. But, you know, it was an observation based in research. And um, this idea that you start off at the age of five, not using scissors. Where are you by the time you're 18 or 19 and you're coming in and there's a world not just of vocational skills but of thinking skills of how you interact with the material world. That's our agenda and that's as valid for doctors as it is for engineers and you can't substitute for that. You can't say oh I can think in that way in these media. It's like Mm. you have to understand the physical reality of a material or the possibilities and potential of a tool in order to be able to be ingenious. So those four pillars and the interactions between them, that's our starting point for the projects that we're interested in doing. And you'll be able to read more from our conversation with Dee on next week's post. Now, last week, Rishi Sunak laid out his priorities and ambitions for the year ahead. A lot of media coverage on his five key objectives, of course, but we were particularly interested in his statement about numeracy. Here's what he said. One of the biggest challenges in mindset we need in education today is to reimagine 
our approach to numeracy. We're one of the few countries not to require our children to study some form of maths up to the age of 18. Right now, just half of all 16 to 19 year olds study any maths at all. Yet in a world where data is everywhere and statistics underpin every job, letting our children out into that world without those skills is letting our children down. So we need to go further. I am now making numeracy a central objective of our education system. Now that doesn't have to mean a compulsory A-level in maths for everyone, but we will work with the sector to move towards all children studying some form of maths to 18. Just imagine what greater numeracy will unlock for people. The skills to feel confidence with your finances, to find the best mortgage deal or savings rate. The ability to do your job better and get paid more and greater self-confidence to navigate a changing world. Now, there's been a fair bit of reaction to this statement. Uh, some of it, shall we say, a little extreme. Uh, what do you think, Michael? Well, it is a little bit extreme. I think I agree. But if you look at the numbers, how many people are doing A-level math mathematics today? They're about 85,000. It's one of the most popular A-level courses already. So we had quite a few studying maths to 18. And in fact, if you look at the number of students also doing retakes of GCSEs post-16, there are quite a number of those as well. And I think what that retake piece highlights, number of things it highlights, is the need to actually consolidate mathematical ability up to the age of 16. There's a lot of work to be done there. And if you look at those students who are taking uh, GCEC maths as a resit, only 20% pass. And if you then look at those students who fail on their resit, Unfortunately, it's totally disproportionately represent, over-representing those from disadvantaged groups and SEND students. So we've actually got a lot of work to get the foundations right before we start adding another two years. And I'll add a little final comment. I think this that we use this word mathematics far too quickly. Um, I'm much more interested in capabilities and thinking capabilities around computational thinking and digital thinking and analytical thinking which, in fact, if you look at some A-level syllabuses, you're actually achieving those capabilities in geography, in history, and other subjects as well. And I think always narrowing it down to some mathematics is a bit too simplistic. Can we talk about the three R's these days? We probably can, and there's probably a few others. I'd like to add the odd E in there as well, or an S, like for environment and sustainability. But um, I think curriculum is moving forward, and there's quite a lot of innovation going on. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.